My name is Anda Gunska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. So lucky to have another amazing guest today, Angela Zepeda, the CMO of Hyundai. I was so impressed with how clearly she was able to articulate her brand positioning and values right off the bat, and that she acknowledged that Hyundai still has some work to do, just to get general audiences to understand who they are and what they stand for. I really think you can tell how much Angela lives and breathes Hyundai. She's been doing work around Hyundai on the agency side for a few years, and now she's finally managed to step into the CMO role internally. I really value the authenticity and humanity of Angela and her truly tireless work ethic. I think it says a lot about her, about the brand she represents, and the people working on that brand. Here's my conversation with Angela Zepeda. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another awesome episode of Pros and Content. Today, we are here with a very special guest, someone who has so much experience in many different aspects of the marketing realm, and I'm very excited to finally have her as a guest here. Um, her name is Angela, and she's the CMO of Hyundai. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Pretty good. We were just complaining about being in Vegas, which yes. I think is fine because last time we met, we met in Cannes and yes. that was a lot better. It was a little better. I don't think we complained about meeting in Cannes. We did not. Yeah. Yeah. We now not. we're complaining about the smoke in the casino and so yes. on and so forth. But <laughs> I'm happy to see you. And thank happy you so much you. for being a guest. You're very um, welcome. We don't talk too much to CMOs in the automotive industry because... Um, for many different reasons, I think CMOs in the automotive industry don't embrace brand storytelling as much. And so I'm very excited to hear from you today how you guys think about it and, and what brand storytelling means to you and how you marry it with everything else that matters to the company, mm -hmm. how you think about the relationship between the corporate brand and the dealers and so on and so forth. So I'm Great. excited to dig in. Yes, me too. Um, this is good. Let's start with um, a pretty kind of big high level question. What does this notion of content mean inside of your organization? It has so many different definitions for right. so many different people. Some people call content a display ad. Right. Other people don't call content anything that is, you know, takes less than five minutes to read. What does it mean inside of your org and where does it really belong? You know, to us, content really is everything. Um, and the brand is everything. And we create content that touches the customer at every point of the customer journey. And because the car shopping and buying process is so long and complex, someone can own a car up to five to seven years, and then they might be ready to buy another car. That journey that someone takes between the time they have a car purchased to the time they might buy the next one is a long journey. So we need to build a relationship with these customers at all kinds of touch points and telling our brand story as well as telling them what's happening with our products, as well as how we're evolving, for example, the car shopping and buying process. All of that is important to us. And so content is really at the core of everything we do. And wherever we put it, uh, it's just where we need to touch those customers best. But we develop content from everything from, you know, telling our brand story to being a little more direct and telling them about our products and features all the way down to 
telling our owners stories and having them talk back to us mm-hmm. about how much they love Hyundai and the vehicles that they, they have in their lives now day to day. So for us, content is absolutely central to everything that we do. So I have two quick follow-up questions. The first one is, do you believe that there should be some kind of strong um, number for how much product-driven content versus how much brand-driven content should be? Like, is it 50-50? Is it 60-40? Um, that's the first question. The second one is, obviously, the most important piece of the buyer's journey is, is you know, getting them educated on the product, but also getting them to fall in love with the brand. Do you focus on folks who've already bought a Hyundai um, and try to influence them over the course of seven years? Or is there an inflection point that you notice with a current car owner where you want to kind of jump in? Okay, let's start with the first one. It's a really good question. You know, trying to decide where and how we spend our marketing budgets is really important. There's just so many places we could invest our money that there's simply just not an endless amount of budget. So We've just recently embarked on doing a marketing mix model that we hope will help define for us uh, just a better path forward of where that investment should be. Currently, we've been spending a little more time um, driving people to an action to actually buy the car and a little less on our brand building efforts. But now that needs to shift. We are at an inflection point at Hyundai where for several years, we didn't really have the product lineup that our competitors had. And we were trying to drive a little more car shopping just with the vehicles that we had, even though maybe we were not as competitive. That is not the case today. 2020 is starting off with just a great portfolio of products. We have a full lineup of SUVs. We need to tell our story and get people to understand that we've got some of the best safety and technology on our vehicles. We're winning awards. This kind of story, uh, has not been told for a long time. So we need to probably invest more in those brand building efforts. I would say, though, regardless if it's really telling the full brand, you know, just getting people emotionally connected to the brand or even understanding what's the difference between our products compared to our competitors, we always want to make it relevant to that customer and find some sort of human truth that actually gets them to engage with the the content in the first place. So there's no reason to just blurt out what we want to say. We want to actually bring them into the conversation with us. And a lot of that is finding those human truths um, and bringing those out in all of the content that we build. So we do this by thinking of the entire customer journey when we're doing our content development, starting with a TV spot. That's a little more about a brand building, talking more about the brand. Our brand is better drives us. And then as we move down to talking about our product and doing a feature and the benefit of those features, it's a little more harder hitting, but all of that feels like it came, comes from the same place. So I would say we're, we say we're both and always, we're always on and we do both brand building and lead generation at the same time. And it's, it's about probably a 60, 40 split right now. Mm-hmm. And, and it'll constantly 60, 40 change. for a little more in brand right now, Got it. Um, a little less in the um, lead generation, but again, it could go back and forth. It just depends where we are. And we're constantly monitoring that. Mm-hmm. So it's a very fluid process by which we go through. Um, to answer your second question, it is typically easier to get people who've bought your product to come back to the brand and purchase it again. And there's a lot of places where we do that. As people come in and get service for their cars, that's an opportunity to tell them about the new products we have that we right. haven't had previously. 
Um, you know, even in the service area, uh, you know, at the end of the visit, a service manager can tell them, look, you can, you know, pay X amount more for a car payment and be in this brand new car with all this new safety and technology that you don't have in your car. That's a really interesting touch point. It's great to keep people to coming back within our brand. We have lost customers, though, in the last couple of years because we didn't have the SUV or the product they were looking for. So they've gone to our competitors to get that. This is an opportunity moving forward to say, look, we actually have probably a, a vehicle that you want, and we need to really start making those efforts to get them to pay attention to that. Getting new people into the brand, that's always a big job that we need to do. And we really want people to fall in love with Hyundai. Hyundai's an amazing company. We have amazing products. Um, we, we're still new in the U.S. You know, we've only been here for about 30 years. So telling that story and getting new people to come and trust the brand is a really important one. What One of the interesting things we've done this last year is we've had these incredible owner stories. And these owners have very emotional stories of what's happening to them in their lives, what's driving them to be better, how Hyundai plays a role in their lives. And they actually tell the story sometimes even better than we can. Mm. So um, all of it is interconnected. Well, with more credibility, right? Uh, complete credibility. Um, because we just get to be a participant in their story instead of me just putting myself totally, front and yeah. center. So. Yeah. It's working really well. We love those owner stories because that means that we've gotten people to experience our, our vehicles, fall in love with our brand, and feel so compelled that they want to tell that story. And, and that does a great lift for us in a lot of ways. So you're saying fall in love with our brand, which I love. You're yeah. talking about the importance of emotionally charged and emotionally driven storytelling. Yes. How, how do you think about kind of understanding whether you've been able to, to kind of influence people emotionally or not? And at what 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 is that stage in the bigger customer journey? Do you think of it as as something that has to be always on, or is it something that you do at the beginning of the customer journey, and then you think of other things as kind of KPIs further down the funnel? It's such a good question. Uh, having people fall in love in the with the brand, we need to make this happen. Hyundai has historically been known as a great value. People bought it for rational reasons, right? Um, and that's great, but it doesn't make people say, I want to come back again and again, necessarily. People want to align themselves to brands that they truly feel like there's shared values, right. that they really understand, that the brand understands them. That's why something like Shopper's Assurance, you know, taking tools and other things that we already had in our, in our toolbox and put them together as Shopper Assurance and gave them back to the customer and said, this is a better way for you to shop and buy your car gave us huge brand lift. People love us that, that we thought this is an important thing to do is to disrupt the way that people are currently buying a car. It's very complex. It takes a lot of time. It's very confusing. If I can break down those barriers and give them something that makes them feel better about how to go through that process with less anxiety or with more confidence, then they say, I love it that Hyundai thought of me and I want them to know that I appreciate that. And we get a lot of brand lift from that. But really connecting with people emotionally, I think that's the next phase for the brand. I think we've we've really been a very rational brand. We've had great products, but we've really been on this value sort of idea for a long time. I don't know if we started that or if that's what just people thought about us. Mm -hmm. But I want people to come to the brand because they say, I really love what Hyundai's doing. And now I want to find out what kind of products they have for us. So for me, that brand story we have an opportunity to tell it all through the customer journey. 
Um, we're just not a big enough brand that spends like some of our competitors. I think telling it over and over and over again is absolutely key. What I think is really cool is that you have the value story down. I think a lot of people start the other way around where they're trying to build a really cool <laughs> brand, um, but they're lacking in the pro- on the product right, front. No and I think there's there. a lot of these new sexy D2C brands where we're starting to see how it's it's crumbling because the product isn't there or the value isn't there. So, you know, if I were to pick, I would definitely pick <laughs> a value-based sell that you build a brand around versus the other way. Yeah, I, th- I think it does a big benefit for us. I mean, I think people admire a company that is producing a car that actually doesn't gouge your checkbook. I think that gives us a lot of, they give us a lot of credit for that. I just don't think that people think of us first. And I think, and that's a weird place for a brand to be in. It's not that it's negative. It's just that they can't define us either. So I think defining us and getting them to understand who Hyundai is, um, is really important. In fact, the, the story is so compelling that it just needs to be told. The the founder of Hyundai started Hyundai after the Korean War, and the real idea behind it was he wanted to build a company that helped put the people of Korea back to work. Mm. And that's what we mean by Better Drives Us. It was to help give people a better quality of life. And that is a mantra that's still part of the company today. They never stop reinventing themselves. They're always pushing for the next thing. And I think having people understand that a company really values people and the kind of life that they lead, the car is just a conduit to leading that life, right? At the end of the day, if you're not building cars for people, then who are you building them for? That's what we say. So I I think more people would love that if they just knew it. I think we just haven't told that story. So I want to stop for a second just to tell you that we've only been talking for 10 minutes and I'm already so impressed with you. You've been able (laughs) to go and take me from kind of the vision and the starting, the founding story to your brand purpose and values today. And you've also contextualized it with what it is to actually run the business and who you actually are today. And then finally, you wrapped it all up in so much authenticity. And you have no idea when you talk to marketers, you don't usually hear, oh, here's what we're not doing great, or here's where we could do better. And I just want to say, I appreciate the fact that you're so open (laughs) with all of this. Well, I think one of the things that has driven me as a marketer who had a lot of experience and time in ad agencies where you're working on multiple accounts all the time, learning and applying things from one account or one industry and applying it to someone else is a really good skill set to have. To think that you're done and finished with any brand is a ridiculous notion. The world is ever changing. Our brand is ever changing. We had amazing news from our executive vice chairman yesterday, E.S. Chung, Who's announcing the future of smart mobility and building connected cities and communities through, you know, new ways for people to get from point A to point B, including these. Basically, it's a flying machine. Uh, It's incredible. It feels super futuristic. And yet I think it's absolutely doable. And if there is a company that knows how to pull the best minds together through sort of a collaborative effort to think about what the future feels like, I think it would be Hyundai. Um, Our size and our infrastructure allows us to do that. And that's one of the big benefits that our competitors don't have is that we own our ecosystem of the value chain. And in that, it gives us the ability to scale very quickly. And I think that's really exciting. But aside from the engineering and the products and services we give as marketers, I think we still have a lot to do. 
Um, and I think engineering based companies might take longer to get to the point of understanding that people want to connect with you emotionally, emotionally as well. Yeah. And yeah. that's the part where I think as a marketer myself being in this role at this point in time is to say, we've done some amazing things. I was at an ocean on the agency side for the last three years. So I'm going to take credit for a lot of that good work too, along <laughs> with a lot of other people. You should. So none of it was wrong. I just want to say, I just want to keep going. And how do we continue yeah. to make it better? And yeah. I take advantage of all the things that are available to us to continue to tell our story in a way that's compelling, and but also drives results too. I always think about this word yet, because yeah. <laughs> I'm very, um, I'm a perfectionist, so I always say, yeah. oh, it's not good. Yet. It's not good enough. Yeah. And I just have to remind myself to always insert the word yet at the end of yeah. all of those sentences, because you're right, it always evolves. It always has to keep evolving. And figuring it out is a totally stupid notion that I don't know why we came up with that, because the world is evolving, consumers are evolving, brands are evolving. I think the only reason why people put pencils down is because you're just simply out of time. Mm. It reminds me of when I was, again, at, at an ad agency or all the ad agencies I was at, and you're pitching, and you're constantly fixing that presentation, redoing it, making it better, talking about it up late at night, early in the morning. I remember doing presentations at the back of a taxi going to a meeting, <laughs> me you know, too. and creatives, you know, redoing things the last minute. And then finally yeah. it's pencils down. One of my sisters, she's an artist. And I think it's interesting. She goes back to pieces that she's had sort of finished. What type of art? She does all kinds of art. Uh -huh. uh, she's really a watercolorist, but she does textiles and hmm. she's um, kind of interested in a lot of different things. But Sometimes her art is really never finished or mm -hmm. if something she does a lot of metal work and jewelry and she'll reconfigure those pieces later on. And I always think that's really great because that's what creativity or storytelling's like. It can always continue and evolve. So being finished never is really being finished. It's just sort of for now. I love that. Yeah. That's a great quote to to bring <laughs> out from the podcast. Yeah. So I want to I wanted to ask a question kind of around the future of the CMO, but before I do that, yeah. I actually want to jump in a little bit into your background because okay. this job is new. Yes. Um, but you've been working on this brand for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And I would love to understand what made you take this jump, take the leap into the brand side. And what were you doing before? Yeah, it is. I think it is an, a unique story. I don't know if anyone's had quite what has happened to me. Uh, I had, well, originally when I was a kid, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Me I too. Stop. Seriously? I have like, my dad still has the drawings. I was trying to. Do you remember was, those fashion plates? seven or six. Do you remember that thing called fashion plates? I did not grow up in this country, so I might not remember it because of that. I'm sorry. They <laughs> no, were so cool. But you, you know, it gave you a little head, like a piece of plastic. And you put it in this mold. Then the next piece and the next piece. And you can oh, kind of configure amazing. Your, But I was always interested in clothing, creativity, art. I talked about it my whole growing up years. I thought for sure I was from, I'm from California. I thought for sure I would go to New York. Fast forward many years later, I still in live LA. in Southern California. <laughs> I never left. Um, and that was just life taking its course of. But you're very fashionable. So thank you. There's that. So are you. <laughs> and, you know, my parents, I don't know if they love that idea of me going into fashion. My father was a dentist. I don't think any dentist. parents love that idea. Yeah. So <laughs> I ended up taking a little more traditional route through, uh, life. And I got a communications degree. And I think that was a good balance between business and art. Um, you know, sort of doing what my parents thought was better for me. But truly, I loved the creativity of 
just what I thought was in fashion as a young girl. What did I know? You know, and then I found advertising and it has been a very, very good career for me. There is mm. no doubt. I've loved all the brands I've worked on. I started in automotive and then later I got asked to be on pitches and I love the diversity of working on a bunch of different companies and a bunch of different industries. And as I went up into my career, getting more senior, I really realized that the people I was starting to interact with at the C-level, they all had multiple degrees, they all had MBAs, and that's not traditionally what you find in ad agencies. In fact, maybe and sometimes I think it's somewhat discouraged because yep. creativity is king. Right. It's an idea factory. But I was on the business side. I was an account person. I never went on to the creative side. Um, and so I went back and got my MBA, been about 12 or 13 years ago. And I was working full time. I was running. As an, you were doing the MBA? Yes. I wow. was running Campbell Ewald in Los Angeles. <sighs> we were doing great. And I just, I felt like I wanted to do it for so long. Life kept getting in the way. And I finally just said, I am not going to let life get in the way. And I'm going to do this. Um, and so I went back to school. I went to USC. Greatest investment I made in myself. Hmm. Um, and you know, the agency was really good. It took me about a year to prepare them that I was going to take every other Friday off to be in class. And there was just a heavy workload, but it was a two-year commitment. And I thought, what is 24 months? I can do this. Um, and it really taught me a lot about myself. And I learned a tremendous amount. I didn't realize how much critical thinking one could actually make their brain do. Um, and it was really, really good for me. And I think at that point, I really transitioned my thinking from just trying to think of communication or marketing solutions for our clients, but transitioning into coming up with business solutions. And that was really the earmark of transforming, I think, the kind of work we were doing for clients at that time that I was helping to lead to the point when I came to a notion, because the relationship between Hyundai and a notion is so close, they're basically sister companies, a notion is an affiliate company within the Hyundai network. And we help them find all those business solutions. The agency sits right next to marketing as almost an extension of the marketing team. And that's where I sat for three years, helping to actually drive business results. And we were doing communications and marketing too, and all the advertising that goes with it. But that's just a part of figuring out what's to be done to help build this brand and to drive people. It's not the end actually, goal. It's, it's not, the means to the end. It's the means to the end. And I think that transition of just being more of a business-minded person with a creative sensibility that knew how to build right. brands really benefited me in the end. And I was really, I always used to say on the other side of the glass of the previous CMO, um, you know, he was front and center and sitting inside of Hyundai. And I was on the other side orchestrating all of the activity and thinking at the agency. So I think when he decided to leave, the natural progression to ask me to come into that role felt just to the CEO, Jose Munoz, a very natural and very obvious choice. Um, so it was early on a Wednesday morning. I'll never forget it. And they're telling me that, you know, the previous CMO has decided to leave and we think it should be you. Do you what want the job? What was your emotional reaction to that statement? I was extreme shocked and I was extremely flattered and I, you know, they saw it on my face. I think I just had, I didn't expect that at all. I thought the meeting was going to be about something else. That's so funny. And, um, he said, did you not expect that you might be CMO? 
And I said, no. And he says, <laughs> I love that even more. Um, and he said, but why? Why didn't you think of yourself as be, but being the CMO? And I said, well, honestly, I thought it would be COO at a notion. Yeah. And it didn't happen. And there was lots of reasons for that. And I just, uh, you know, it's so funny. You always think like, what you see other people get jobs or opportunities or doors open and you always think is that ever going to happen to me am I ever going to be in that set of circumstances um and I'm a little bit of a late bloomer I you know I'm in my 50s now and the door just opened for me in a way that I never had expected it would for me and I couldn't have been more thrilled and the transition has been incredibly seamless but that's because I knew everyone in the marketing department. They've been incredibly helpful. I had already been working with the executive team because of this close collaboration between the agency and Hyundai. And then, of course, I know my family at an ocean. And I think that's a big benefit, too, because, you know, I know where the holes are. I know where the weaknesses are. I know where the opportunities are. And I can work more closely with the agency and saying, this is the team we need to build for the future. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be so opaque um, where you go to your agency and say, well, what would we do if we need to do this? It's I can help you do that because I actually understand how that business runs, who's there, the talent we need to bring and where that needs to help me move the brand forward. So it I probably should start writing notes for a book or something, because <laughs> there's a story in there somewhere about, I was say. you know, it. It is interesting, but I mean, the world's evolving. You just can't do communication for communi- communication's sake. It has to drive business results. And I just think playing this dual role for a long time finally was the time for me to take that seat at the helm and, and you know, lead Hyundai with their marketing. And it's just, it's going to be a great year. I just, I feel all the positivity and have huge confidence. Um, and one thing I will tell you that Jose did ask me too, he said, um, well, do you want the job? And I said, well, I think I'd be stupid to say no. (laughs) And I said, of course, I want the job and I'm thrilled. And he says, well, do you think, do you have any concerns or do you think you'll have any challenges? And I I said, to be perfectly frank, I've never sat within an OEM and I don't know everything about the business, especially Mm -hmm. let's talk about the dealers, the the way that that business is run, all the complexity there. And he says, that's not a worry. My job is to help make you be successful. And we all don't know everything either. That's why we're a team. And I love that, that, that he awesome. just took away any concern I had about not knowing absolutely everything. We don't have to know absolutely everything. And that's why it's okay to ask a question or lean on someone for their expertise. And he just dropped that barrier and just said, look, we're all, we're all successful together or we're all going to fail together. So it's been great. So once again, the humility that you have is just incredible. Uh, really yeah thank you because you you say things like the door just opened for me whereas literally almost everyone else would say i opened that door you know i deserved that door it should have been open before and it's amazing to see that you know you actually put in the work like the majority of the work and yes. and yet you were shocked when the opportunity that was naturally yours was offered to you and it's it's amazing to see that it's well, refreshing thanks. i'll tell you i think this is why i feel that way I've been passed over for promotions. I didn't get every job I went on for an interview. Um, I did a lot of incredible work that other people took some credit for. You know, all the typical things. You have to just get up and go to work again the next day. You just have to think, well, today's just not my day. 
And people ask me all the time, like, well, you know, well, I love it. The people say, well, how long did it take you to get to the corner office? <laughs> 30 years of really hard work. And it went by really fast. But it is the long journey. And I guess that's another thing, too. It's, it's always a journey. Again, it goes back to the art example. There's never any end line. This is not this isn't like, oh, I became CMO. Done. Check the box. No, yeah, I became right. CMO. And now I'm on this new What's journey. Next? Yeah. So it's really exciting to me. And. Not every door always opened, and I just felt like I would continue to do good work, and eventually, whatever the story would be, would just be my story. I always, um, I ended up being someone who did not have children, although everyone else in my family did, and people ask me all the time, I'm from a big family, they said, do you feel bad that you never had children? And I said, I'm happy with what I have. And to always look at what someone else has, that's also a dangerous road, too, comparing to other people. Everyone has a different life than yours. And the timeline, nobody knows. I started to be interested in people who were sort of successful in their career very late in the game. Julia Childs comes to mind. I mean, she was, you know, a grown woman and married. And and then she became who she was late in her History. life. History. So, you know, it's never too late to just say the next thing. And who, who knows what will happen after this? So I'm just really excited. And I think all doors can open for all people. Sometimes I think patience is the hardest thing to sort of live through and patience still do great. Patience and persistence and a positive mindset. Because what I loved what you said about today's just not my day. I'm just going to keep going. Today is just not my day. But I knew I was doing good work. Yeah. And, go- and getting that MBA, because I would question myself when I was younger. There's no doubt. I'd be like, well, you know, maybe that wasn't such good thinking or... Maybe I should have thought of this. You know, I would do that to myself in my own head. Mm-hmm. When I went back to school and I got that graduate degree, I noticed that conversation in my head went away. I really felt like, no, no, this is what we're doing. Was that an MBA? Or was that also a factor of kind of experience? Oh, and age t- totally. And maturity? Totally. That, I would say probably both, but you do. You just start getting a playbook and you do it enough times that you could write it before it's even happened. Um, and that's where, you know, lots of young women come to me and they're, they're, they feel panicked to me. Um, I would say late 30s, early 40s. That's, mm-hmm. you know, like why well, I thought should, this should have happened or that should have happened. And that, right. d- that timetable starts running right. in their head. And I always say, just be patient. It'll come. It's not easy. You know, being a woman in business is not easy. We're not always recognized first. Um, but I think in this case... Being a woman was a benefit. And I think being around executives who recognized that I was doing great work, um, you know, kudos to them that they, I think, regardless of your gender, good work is good work at the end of the day. And I love that. And that's where I feel like, um, you know, I love it that Jose wanted me to be the CMO as well as Mr. William Lee um, and Steve June, who was my boss at Inotion. But I'm the first woman in the C-suite at Hyundai. Really? And yes. And it does feel really That's good. incredible. Congratulations. But I almost wanted to take that hat off. I'm the first woman C-suite at Hyundai. Yeah. Hat off. Now let's just go to work. Yeah, totally. And I just want to be the best CMO I can be. And I want other women to be coming in for their great work. Um, so I'm not sitting there by myself. That's I love, the only way to yeah, do it. It's the only way to do it. And, and by that is just doing good work. I don't want to get a pass because I'm a woman. I want to be respected in what I'm doing because the work is good. And that comes from building good teams and having good results. 
you have no idea how much everything you just said resonates with me. I think there's a very similar journey that you have to go through as a female entrepreneur. There's a lot yes. of um, loneliness and you put yourself out there. And now I put myself out there, not just for myself or two people, but for a lot of people. Um, and to feel how, how it, I wouldn't say it's much harder or much easier, but it's just different. different. Mm -hmm. It's different. And I'm sure you, you resonate with that. Maybe it's harder in some ways and maybe it's easier in others, but it just feels different from what all the books are telling us and all the videos are telling us and all the articles with like, here are 10 helpful tips and here's how you fundraise and here's how you do marketing. Yes. And here's how you operate in the C-suite. And we just kind of have to invent our own playbook. And hopefully we can do that by being supporters of each other. I, I totally agree with that. And I think um, having knowledge about how, how other people have done things, completely helpful. I've never found, though, that there's a replication of how someone else has done it how, and then how you can do it. Um, you know, and it's it's just it's funny because uh, the first people I told about getting the new position, of course, were my parents who were in their 80s. And my dad was a dentist. So he was a entrepreneur. He also did some real estate development and other things. And I, rem I learned so much from my dad that he said many times, I never felt this growing up, but he would say, I was the last one to get paid. He would pay everyone else in his office. And if it wasn't a good month, he didn't yeah, take the paycheck. He take the hit. And he told me that when I was a little bit older. And I thought, oh, that's how business works. If you don't actually produce and there's not the money in the bank, then there's, you know, some outcome of that, good or bad. And then when things were flush and things were good, then my dad got the benefit there. And, you know, that's it's not a straight line or it's just not an up line. Life and business is up and down and being able to manage all of that, I think, is um, part of just understanding that there's just no one way to go about it. But I think it's important for people to remember that I think just crafting your own way and just thinking just because it didn't happen to me or it hasn't happened yet or it didn't happen in that way doesn't mean it's not going to be great. Just wait for it to happen. And I, I think that's the biggest thing for people, um, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're someone who's working in a corporation, um, you know, you just you just have to take the good with the bad. I mean, that's just life in general. But I, I think, think we should start maturity. another podcast called Angela and Anda Give Life Advice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you live through enough, you know, and I have I've been very lucky. I've had um, I was married once before. Um, so I, I am divorced. I would consider that one of my black marks. I'm not very you know proud of that. But massive, huge life lessons that came out of that. And I think um, some of those things that I learned at that point in time in my life when I was around 30, when I went through that divorce, helped me really have some resolve about the future. Um, because at that point in time of your life as a young person, you and especially I was married, I was working, like I was checking all the boxes. And then life throws you a curve. And then you start over again. And it actually was a really good thing to happen to me. I, I know it sounds weird. No, but it doesn't. I think the trajectory of just going through the path of the straight line is not as a, it's just not, it could have been great. Who knows? I mean, I didn't get to finish that part of the story, but I did learn a lot from it. And I think the person I became was truly an outcome of, of feeling like that was a failure and I had to start over again. And I felt really behind at that point, by the way, from my peers, because um, mm. I'd moved out of the country for a little bit and that catch up so to speak, um, and some debt from a business that my ex-husband had started 
kind of kept me back. And I just put my head down and went to work and thought, only I can figure this out. I can't look to others to help figure it out. So those are good life lessons. I think what's interesting is most of the things that we think we're going to be when we're 20 don't really end up being the things that we are when we're 40. Absolutely. And there's some type of friction in between that has to happen. And by the way, if it doesn't happen, you kind of just live in this, I don't know, made up world. Yes. Um, and, and the friction eventually happens. Maybe it's midlife crisis. Maybe it's later on. I don't know. But I think for most people, it happens somewhere between late 20s and mid 30s. Yeah. I went through something very similar. One of the reasons, the unofficial reasons why we moved the company from Silicon Valley to New York but it was a new beginning, and um, I don't think I would have seen many different sides of the world and of and of myself and as such of others if I hadn't gone through that experience. Yeah, sure. I, I totally agree. I tell uh, my stepdaughters, the older one especially, who was very much, I got life figured out at like 21 when she was 21. She's well, that's now. what I thought too. <laughs> yeah, and um, I told her, oh, don't make any big life decisions oh, until yeah. you're like, 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. She's looking at me like I was crazy. And as she's now coming upon 30, she's like, yep, that was good <laughs> advice. And I said, well, because I, I really felt it for myself. The 20s are still a place where you're figuring things out. 30s are a great decade. Yeah. 40s are better. Oh, even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't wait. And I would say for me, with what's happened to me now that I'm in my 50s, which it's hard to even say that or believe that because it is true. Everyone says it true like it's already here. But uh, even better, even better. I think life's um, experience and everything that you have, whether it's in your personal life or in business, it all feels, you just know so much more. And so that's where the confidence comes from or that's where the playbook come from, comes from. It's just living it for a little bit of time. And that's where, the, that's where the patience comes in. You know, when you're still younger, you really don't have it all figured out. Yeah. Um, and that's another great thing about being a CMO at this stage where others have been a CMO much earlier than I have. I think that's why the transition's been so seamless. I, when I yeah, say you've it's been ready easy, for this for a while. But I think I've been ready for a long time. And so I'm not sitting there going, oh, well, you know, like, what would I do next as a CMO? There's never in my mind. No, it's, it's very like, clear you don't have any imposter syndrome. No, no <laughs> imposter syndrome. And I think uh, people find me to be really open and I ask for help. Um, and the, and not, I wasn't always good at asking for help. That's mm. also come with maturity, mm. too. Yep. Um, but asking for well, it help. It also comes with security, right? And confidence. Yeah. And because I was always a support person, when you're at an ad agency, you're always in the service business. We're servicing our clients. I'm on call 24-7. Whatever they need, I'm delivering. You're always in that mode. To be on the other side and to be the client, um, probably my counterparts and my friends and my peers at the agency would say that's something I probably need to work on is <laughs> you can let that service side of you go. Because as soon as we need to like, there's a, a, something that's asked for and I'm like, oh, I can get that. I've got slides from here and I can pull this. And they're like, no, no, no. Slapping my hands. It's not saying, your job we'll anymore. That. But I like being helpful and I like working in teams. And so um, I never like to be too far away from that process because that's still what I love is the, that whole advertising, finding solutions, um, coming up with new ways of doing things. Like for me, it's always still an ever evolving job. It's never So static. I know we only have a couple of minutes left uh, of your time, although I could keep going for the me next two hours. Uh, I want to ask you, since we're on the topic of life advice and content, yep. um, there's a, lo- a lot of our listeners are content leaders inside of yes. large organizations, and they, they struggle with all sorts of things from the fact that content isn't necessarily super defined. It's somewhere in 
at the intersection between digital and IT and marketing and media and creative. Um, but they're also trying to figure out how do I, like, th does this background make sense for my career and how do I grow my career from here? You mentioned, you know, kind of going to get your MBA to learn about the business side of things and being able to marry that. Any other advice for someone who's a content leader on one of the many different teams that, um, that are out there now, because more and more companies are hiring content leaders yeah. across financial, telco, auto, et cetera. For me, if from where I see things, just you cannot develop enough content. The way that people ingest content today, it's just an, it's the biggest pipe that has no end, it seems like. So if you want to be a content creator, I think understanding your client's business deeply to understand how that content can help drive business results is helpful. Yep. Uh, content or creative for creative sake, you can go to Soho and be an artist, you know, or, right. you know, don't put a price tag on that right. artwork. I mean, this has to actually do something. Yep. And I think that's one of the biggest things for people who do content creation is to understand that it has to drive some kind of action, whether it's a brand metric totally. to help someone fall in love with the brand, all the way to having someone click to actually maybe do a calculator or build their own vehicle. 100%. Yeah. It has to have some some meaning. But I it's think content with a purpose, content with a purpose. But I think creativity and as someone who came from the agency side, we can't have enough people who have creative thinking. I still to this day am blown away that on a creative brief that I might have help inputting about this, the basic blocks of what we need in that content and giving that to a person who develops that and creates the concept, how they take that piece of paper into what they come up with still blows my mind. That leap from that to that, from nothing to, from nothing to, to, to something creative is thinking. amazing. Yeah. And that's where, you know, people are asking me now at Hyundai, they're like, well, how come that takes so much time? Or, you know, hey, listen, there's a lot of magic that happens yeah. in content creation. Yeah. And the biggest killer of great content sometimes is time. However, sometimes great creative comes very quickly. Mm. Um, but I think for people who do content, I, I would say, you know, be around people who are also creative to help feed your creativity. I think that's really good. I've heard about collectives or collaborative um, houses that are, you know, sort of coming yeah. to fore yeah. in L.A. I think that's incredible. TikTok's very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, all of the content that's being developed there. And we work with publishers and others. But we also do a lot of content creation at Hyundai. I think as a marketer who sits at the top of all of that is making sure that all of it has a purpose, that all of it is somewhat connected, that we're telling our story, that it doesn't, I can't, you know, that came from that person or that came from here. Um, I think that's one of the hardest challenges is making sure that there's the thread. Um, but I just think as a content creator, I think understanding business, making sure there's purpose to it, but also making sure that it's relevant and, you know, everyone wants personalized content to understand your audience, I think is really important too. And, and by the way, not trying to do a shameless plug, but, but this is what I'm personally really passionate yes. about is working with creatives who understand what great creative is, combining that with the business logic and yes. then making a big measurement framework around it so that we know Because ultimately, if we're not measuring, then we don't know what we're getting. Yes. And if we don't know what we're getting, then we're not going to be able to continue making great creative. And so exactly. I think it's all kind of has all, the data nerds have a, have a role. The creatives have a role. The business. Everyone minds have has a role. a role. 
So yeah, everyone has I a role. Totally agree. Yeah, and that's where t- the team is is an important factor of making all of this happen. There's not a person or a discipline that's got it all figured out. Totally. I really don't. And to have confidence in saying that's this is my role and this is what I bring to the table and you know when I when I call specific people and say, "Oh, can you tell me about this?" I know they get excited about that because that's their area of expertise, but you know, they've got to pass that information on to the next person or their colleague in order to really make it be impactful for what we're trying to do. No one does anything in a silo or a vacuum. They I just think content can't. more than any other discipline is all about collaboration. It's all about collaboration. It cannot be done in a silo over to the side. Um, and, you know, that's I'll say one last thing, too. For creatives, I think sometimes, and I understand because I really feel like I'm a creative deep down in my soul somewhere. Um, and I have people around me who are very creative and they put their creativity out there like my sister. But I think sometimes holding on to your idea and waiting till it's fully baked and then you say like, ta-da. Yeah. I always want to say, I wish you would have shown that to me earlier yeah, because yeah, yeah. it went a little too here and I right. needed to do this or I could have done this. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things too is don't, don't be so precious with your idea or feel like you have to hold on to it. Share it. Because someone can actually make it better. And that doesn't mean that you don't get credit for coming up with the idea in the first place. I think there's some of that, too. And so I think sharing is something. And by the way, then, if someone has shared something with you, be fair and say, well, someone shared that with me. And I just thought I'd put the, you know, right. give, you know, give, give it back. It's a little due. bit of, you know, that um, yep. give and take on where the idea originally came from. Um, and I just think being much more open and free about Ideas and how they can be applied, I think, really benefits everybody in the end. Wow. This wow. has been such a good conversation. Thank you. Thank it's, you so I love much. talking to you always, and I'm so I happy know, to see same. you and happy so happy to see, to see you're too. doing well. Same. And thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Thank I you really so much for it. sharing all of this advice. I can't wait for this episode to be out. Oh, thank you. Have a My great pleasure. CS. Have a great 2020. Thank you. That was honestly such a refreshing and fun conversation. Angela really understands her brand and her audience, and I can't wait to see what she does in her new role. She also acknowledged that they have a lot of hard work ahead and that everyone else around her is working together to make sure that in particular as it relates to content, they are pushing amazing creative collaborations out there. And I think this was one of the most important points that she made, that you can't make content in a silo. You need a ton of amazing, creative people around you to get it across the finish line and to make sure that it's tied to a business purpose. I also love what she said that engineering-based companies might take just a little bit longer to come to the realization that they need to tap into people's emotions in order to drive a purchase or an affinity with a product. It's all in service of telling compelling stories that drive actions. And Hyundai is all about driving. I wish Angela the best of luck in her new role, and I hope you enjoyed hearing all of the life advice that she has. I sure did. And for any feedback that you have, please email me at anda at prosandcontent.co. I would love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to nominate other speakers for us to feature. And if you want to hear more amazing content about the pros and cons of making content or being a better storyteller in today's world, please head to prosandcontent.co for more episodes. The best thing you could do for us is to rate, review, and share the series so we can grow the community and the much-needed conversation around the purpose and importance of brand storytelling. See you next time on Pros and Content.